0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA here on this Friday. Hard to believe we're coming to the end of the first week here in the month of July, and climate regulations are in the news. We're going to talk with Cam Quarles, President CEO of the National Potato Council here in just a minute, about the potential impact of the SEC climate disclosure rule that's in process. In segment two, Jackie Holland of Farm Futures will join us. We saw May exports come out here this past week, and they have continued to be disappointing. Jack, you run through some of those statistics and figures with us and then in segment three we're going to talk to another jackie jackie fatka the policy editor over at farm progress will join us we're going to talk about what has developed over in the netherlands over the past two or three weeks The farmer protests have continued in that country. She's been keeping an eye on what is going on there on the ground. Then at the end of the show, we're going to talk with Chris Edgington, president of the National Corn Growers Association. Corn growers are getting ready to gather next week in Washington, D.C. for Corn Congress and Action Team meetings. Chris will give us an update as to what they're expected to cover. But let's dive into these climate rules first. As I mentioned, Cl- Cam Quarles joins us now, president of the National Potato Council. And Cam, I understand at the NPC summer meetings, your representatives got together and came out up against this climate disclosure proposal. Can you tell us why?
2: Sure, Mike. H- happy Friday. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. Th- that this. SEC climate disclosure rule has really captured the attention, not just of our uh, potato industry, but I think across uh, U.S. agriculture. It came out as a proposed rule uh, several weeks ago, and when we saw the specifics of what the SEC is suggesting, it doesn't just apply to SEC-regulated entities like your Fortune 500 companies that are publicly traded um, uh, organizations. What it's going to do is it's going to require climate reporting from everyone in the supply chain for those SEC regulated entities. That's going to reach all the way down to the family farm and the cost associated with that, Mike. I mean, you can you can just use your imagination. It's not going to be pretty for our farmers.
0: Well, that's the thing. And I'm glad you brought that up, Cam, because when we this rule was first proposed, the explanation was, well, it only applies to publicly traded companies. You don't have to worry about it, you you little folks. But of course, we do because those publicly traded companies, if you sell potatoes, for example, into the supply chain, they'll need to know your emissions, right, in order that they can report them?
2: That's exactly right. And, you know, when, when you think of almost every agricultural commodity, but just think of potatoes specifically, how many times does does a potato that comes out of the ground, it, your, your, your immediate customer might not be an SEC regulated entity, but how many times do those potatoes end up at a supermarket that's a Fortune 500 company or at a, um, a fast food restaurant or a major uh, restaurant or uh, the big institutional buyers? A lot of those are publicly traded entities. The, the, the tentacles of this rule just uh, just just run all over the place and where where these big companies may have a huge environmental staff and the cost may be relatively muted on them when those regulations get pushed down to the farm level you're talking about individuals wearing 10 different hats and now you're asking them to wear 11 or 12 in this in reporting back to an agency that really agriculture has no no relationship to. Uh, it, it's, a, it's just a really costly endeavor when you think about it.
0: It's a costly endeavor, and that is certainly one aspect that I think has folks concerned. And then the other aspect is the, the regulations themselves are kind of amorphous. Cam, I mean, does the industry have the technology to actually record these type of emissions on a farm anyway?
2: Well the the short answer is we're we're taking that very seriously and we're working on it Mike but the the fact of the matter is there's no one universal standard at this time um I think every everyone not just in agriculture but kind of a, a, across all of the the US economy and around the world they're struggling with that that very question that you just asked and you know we're we have a lar- in our industry. We have a large uh, uh, alliance. We call it the Potato Sustainability Alliance. They're working to to, to come up with a database that um, has the that type of uh, reporting capability. But whether or not that's acceptable to every Fortune 500 companies, every company that we sell to, or the SEC, we have no idea. Uh, and so we're we're really we're shooting at a moving target right now. And we have asked, along with the Cattlemen, Farm Bureau, a number of different entities we've joined together and just said, hey, can we tap the brakes on this? The, at, a, at a time of economic peril, is this really an additional cost we need to load onto farmers?
0: An additional cost, and Cam, it's duplicating work that's already being done. You mentioned the Potato Sustainability Alliance. It, you're tackling a lot of the issues that this disclosure rule would mandate, aren't you?
2: Uh, we are, we are. This um, uh, and and we we want to do that in in a responsible way, and and not just spit out data for the purpose of satisfying uh, a, a bureaucratic exercise, but capturing information that really has value to our industry, to our customers, and you know ultimately to consumers around the world. Um, whether or not we're at the place where we can say this database A is the right way to get there, or this measurement is what we what we need to provide. Uh, we're, I, I don't think anybody has the answer to that. and this unfortunately, this rule is just going to force that on folks when we don't have all of the necessary information. and like i said, we we're not sure what target we're shooting at.
0: That's the truth, Cam. So this proposal is out there. Can you fill us in on what a timeline might look to see this either get thrown out or be codified into some sort of, of regulatory action from the SEC?
2: Yeah. So we've we've provided substantive comment to uh, back to the SEC. Again, we spend a lot of time worrying about the Department of Agriculture and EPA and the trade representative. SEC is kind of a it's not not a place we spend a lot of time at. We've gotten. Uh, uh, a, a number of the major ag groups uh, got some counsel together, provided public comment back to the SEC, as did thousands of other entities. SEC has to go through all those numerous comments, respond to them, and then if they decide to, they have, certainly have the capability to pull this rule back, to modify it. Our recommendation is just exempt farming operations from it at this time uh this this tentacles just reach way too far um so we're going to have to see how they respond um they they may get to a final rule phase and then we'll know um what they're what they're recommending and what the costs truly are and at that time assuming they could they continue down the track they're on i think congress may very well want to get involved here at um uh, you know, the, 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 the expense of this across the U.S. economy, and particularly for agriculture, it's significant.
0: It certainly is. It could be huge, folks. Keep this issue on your radar. This climate rule is still out there. It's still percolating. We'll continue to see what could develop with it long term. In the meantime, Cam Quarles, President and CEO of the National Potato Council, thanks for joining us and filling us in on the impact this would have on your industry.
2: Glad to be with you, Mike. Thanks. Happy Friday.
0: Happy Friday. Indeed, folks. Stick around. Jackie Holland, the grains analyst at Farm Futures, will join the show when we return. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming
3: right up.
0: we have some exciting news to share. The National Corn Growers Association along with AOA are kicking off an all new program called the Monthly Grind. Tune in on Tuesday, July 12th for a big kickoff. I'll be broadcasting live from Corn Congress in Washington, DC, and we'll share all of the details surrounding the Monthly Grind. Make sure to listen to AOA on Tuesday, July 12th. It's a show you don't want to miss. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for making AOA part of your day here on this Friday. And I tell you what, it is a Friday that we are continuing to see this grain market turn around. We've got big gains in the wheat market. We're up 35 to 40 cents. Corn up 14 to 15 cents. And soybeans even moving along well. New crop November up 10. Old crop up 5 to 8 so far on this Friday. Joining me to take a look at the markets and the factors that are making it move is Jackie Holland. She's a grains analyst with Farm Futures Magazine. And Jackie, thanks for joining us today.
5: Good morning, Mike. Thanks for having me.
0: Let's talk about today's action, Jackie. And I want to start in the wheat pit. We have seen incredible volatility this week in wheat, and it continues today up 30 to 35 cents. What is happening in wheat? Uh,
5: Well, a big reason why we're seeing that volatility is because there is so much volatility in the outside markets right now. Um, the dollar has, is kind of climbing back up to 20-year highs, um, and you know that, that influence is definitely kind of causing a lot of, of outside turmoil, um, but the big reason why we're seeing the rally today is because top global importer, Egypt, has been booking some pretty aggressive sales after we've seen some of these multi-month price close set over the past week. So luckily, it's demand-driven, which is a really good sign for fundamental pressures in these markets right now.
0: That is a really good sign, Jackie, to see these large wheat importers looking out into the global market and finding price values that they can seize on. That's got to make you feel a little bit more comfortable about the price levels we're seeing for wheat here heading into the summer.
5: Yes, it really does. You know, especially with the harvest pressure we're seeing from some of these North America our North Northern Hemisphere crops. Uh, we know that Russia is going to harvest a big crop. Um, so seeing seeing these higher prices should be a real boost of confidence for U.S. wheat growers
0: jackie do you know offhand where egypt has ended up securing their wheat did they come to the us for any portion of that have we heard
5: um i think i haven't heard that the us has been a major buyer um egypt actually surprised kind of a surprise deal with germany this week um and i think france and russia have also been some of the primary suppliers for the this latest Egyptian wheat buying spree.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. Coming over from Europe, heading into Egypt. I'm curious, Jackie, the strength in the wheat complex here, driven by that fundamental demand, is that the support that's spilling over into corn? Or are there other factors happening in that market today to drive us, oh gosh, 14, 15 cents higher?
5: <laughs> yes, no, it's a great rally, especially after corn hit, what, six, seven months lows earlier this week. Um, but a lot of what, a lot of the price dynamics we're seeing in the ag markets this week is spilling over from the more broad financial markets. Um, markets are kind of taking a breath from being really concerned about a looming recession across the world this week. So um, you know we're seeing kind of kind of some of that market relaxation pushing up these grain prices which is is really positive because we've seen a lot of those outside hedge fund uh managers pull out money from these grain markets in recent weeks so right
0: so now they're just sitting on it, it huh waiting for that story to develop and they can pile right back in
5: Exactly. And we hit multi month lows earlier this week. So we are seeing much more bargain buying from gotcha. from those funds. So
0: and, you know, that bargain buying, Jack, you know, one of the things that's interesting about agriculture is a lot of our data, by by necessity, is backward looking, right? It takes us a few months to get all of our data compiled and collected before we can review it. And I know you just did a deep dive mm-hmm. into the May ag exports, which were released yesterday from the, uh, the Census Bureau. May was a surprisingly good month overall for ag exports, wasn't it?
5: Yeah, it was. Um, We saw that current calendar year to date, U.S. egg exports are now trending 14% higher than the same time last year. Um, If you recall, the U.S. set a record for export values last year. So that's looking really good. Um, And a big part of that, we saw record-setting corn revenues. Uh, May 22, corn uh, export volumes rose to just shy of 2.5 billion. Um, And that set a new record for monthly corn export values. So that was really positive to see for the ag community.
0: Well, and Jackie, I mean, it's true that we're selling more in terms of value, but we're also selling a much more higher priced crop. Do you know how we kept up in terms of volume of of bushels sold? Uh, The volumes
5: aren't, the volumes don't match what we saw in the 2020, 2021 marketing year. Um, but it is these higher prices that are driving these higher revenues. And there, you know there's a lot of reasons for that. For starters, we have a higher dollar um, which kind of changes some of the pricing dynamics there. We also have tighter exportable supplies here in the US. So those volumes aren't quite going to match what we saw. Um, especially when China was on their buying spring in 2020 and 2021, um, until I think we start to see better supply outlooks for U.S. crops.
0: Okay, that makes sense. You know, you touched on the the disappointing trail off in Chinese purchases. We really saw that impact in the soybean export reports for May, didn't we?
5: Yeah, we did. You know, we have seen some unseasonable uh, kind of increases in soybean shipments. Um, in today's report, uh, today's weekly export sales report from USDA, um, we've seen that soybean export volumes are actually, um, have actually doubled last year's volume since the beginning of March with the Black Sea complex. Um, but we're, you know, we're still not quite seeing those, those seasonal volume highs for soybeans that we typically see during the fall months when we're in peak export season. So, there's still some optimism that we can kind of derive from yesterday's export report for soybeans, um, but I think I think there's more optimism to come this fall for uh, during harvest season.
0: Yep, that makes sense. Get those supplies out in in the open and we'll see the buyers start to flock to it. But uh, I'm curious, Jackie, those May sales looked really, really strong. And as you mentioned at the top of the segment, we have seen the value of the U.S. dollar really skyrocketing here over the past three weeks. Do you expect to see those export reports get a little more dismal as we work into this summer with this high dollar?
5: Yeah, I mean, wheat has definitely kind of been the biggest casualty of the higher dollar. Um, a higher dollar means that U.S. ag exports aren't quite priced as competitively as alternative suppliers on the world market. Um, so that's really been a struggle for U.S. exporters to kind of overcome, especially in the black um, in this era following the onset of the Black Sea conflict. Um, and I think. You know, because the dollar is a safe haven asset and financial markets are so volatile right now, um, it, it's just going to be a really big challenge for U.S. wheat producers to overcome the stronger dollar in the current economic environment. We have updated inflation data coming out next week, and hopefully that kind of points to some cooling price dynamics that will hopefully take the pressure off of the dollar going forward
0: in the meantime jackie next tuesday we're going to get the supply and demand estimates from usda corn soybeans are you anticipating any surprises
5: uh i think the only surprises will be if usda decides to change any demand forecasts uh for for the current working year for wheat and um the new marketing year for corn and soybeans. Uh, last week's USDA reports kind of gave us a, a really good idea of where USDA is gonna fall next week. So, you know, I think the demand outlook and any significant changes to global production and export forecasts, especially for wheat, are going to be, be the big market movers next week.
0: All right, we'll keep an eye on that, folks. That report comes out on Tuesday at 11 o'clock Central Time. Jackie Holland, Greens Analyst at Farm Futures Magazine, thank you so much for joining us here on AOA Today.
5: Thanks for having me, Mike. Have a good weekend.
0: You as well. And folks, stick around. Jackie Fatka of Farm Progress will be joining us when we return.
3: We here at the American Ag Network enjoy and celebrate our freedom and independence, and we want you to safely enjoy and celebrate your freedom and independence with us. Did you know that July 4th was not deemed a federal holiday until 1870? That's nearly 100 years after the nation was founded. The Declaration of Independence was written on a laptop. Okay, not a modern laptop, but Thomas Jefferson did draft the Declaration of Independence on a writing desk that could fit onto one's lap. That device was referred to as a laptop. An old adage among corn farmers is knee-high by the 4th of July, meaning that if one's corn stalks were at least as high as an adult's knees by Independence Day, they could expect a good harvest, and corn stalks can actually grow as tall as 13 feet high. And sweet corn, that variety that most Americans will be grilling and boiling for cookouts, accounts for just 1% of all corn grown in the United States. Please celebrate our independence safely and responsibly this July with us at the American Ag Network.
6: You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, the rally continuing from the overnight into this morning's grain trade as we see wheat futures leading to the upside with double-digit strength there, holding some double-digit strength in the corn market while the soy market is a little bit more mixed here as we work through our session. Meantime, cattle futures are up moderately while the hog market is mixed with front-month hogs down a little bit with far-deferreds up a little bit. Now, as we take a look at the grain and oil seeds, they had a nice recovery Thursday with follow-through buying here overnight into this morning. The question is, can we sustain that strength going into the weekend following a dismal weekly export sales report and with modest headwinds from the outside markets we're continuing to watch things there the jobs report this morning uh, we saw the outside markets turn a bit negative following the release of that monthly jobs data reflecting the ongoing sensitivity of wall street traders to any data that might suggest trouble ahead The dollar index still near 107 after hitting a new 19-year high near 107.8 overnight. Crude oil prices trading about 2% higher here so far today. Right now we're up about 60 cents a barrel at 103.34. So it'll be an interesting Friday to see how the market fares. We also have more heat and dryness coming into the forecast for the Western Corn Belt as we get to the middle of July. And that's going to be something that traders are going to be watching very closely as well and how it affects our crop in much of the central and Western Corn Belt. A few of our current numbers. September corn right now, that is up 14 and three quarters, 623 and three quarters. August beans up eight and a half, 1493 and three quarters. Over in wheat, that still leads to the upside. September Chicago up 38 and three quarters, 875 and a quarter. September KC wheat up 34, 923 and a quarter. September spring wheat up 46 at 980 and a half. August live cattle up 40, 134.95. July hogs down to 113.22. This is AOA. I'm Jesse Allen.
3: public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ed Council.
0: This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. You know, we talk a lot about agriculture domestically on this show, but agriculture globally can have long lasting ramifications and there can be ripple effects that impact our production here in the United States. Well, one issue that has been percolating since the end of June is over in the Netherlands. Changes that that country wants to make to their emissions rules have spurred farmers to protest. And that protest, those protests rather, have been going on for several weeks Joining me today to discuss that, in addition to the other things developing in Washington, D.C., is policy editor for Farm Progress, Jackie Fatka. Jackie, thanks for joining us today. Always, always a pleasure, Mike. So let's talk first. We understand these farmers in the Netherlands are protesting because of uh, proposed government rules. Jackie, fill us in. What is the Dutch government looking to change in the ag industry?
7: So they've introduced what they're calling the national program which is focusing on reduction of nitrogen in the soils uh, and to reach this goal the government is wanting to uh, basically reduce its nitrogen use and also limit its livestock production which for the dutch farmers is a pretty big deal and so uh, they are are looking to to target some of those different areas and 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 really are Uh, some farmers they they've admitted will have to go out of business because they won't be able to comply. And so obviously those farmers in certain regions are, are even more upset, but all of them are, are getting concerned. And all of this is really because of a focus on trying to reduce their, the greenhouse gas emissions and, and, and being able to try to uh, take credit for being able to make these changes uh, as we have this greater focus on climate and around the world and the emissions and the impact of agriculture on those emissions.
0: Now, Jackie, from the outside watching over there across the pond to what's developing in the Netherlands, not only does it seem like these are very, very large proposed cuts, 30 to 70% in nitrogen, uh, nitrous oxide and ammonia releases by 2030, they're presented not in a very good political sense. I saw the uh, the Dutch agriculture minister come out and say, yeah, we understand there's not going to be a future for every Dutch farmer with these rules. And naturally that has some folks upset.
7: You know, it, it's crazy. Um, and the fact that, you know, Netherlands is the second largest act exporter in the world. And so they are, they, they have a lot of their economy that does Get supported by agriculture. Um, the government has made a, a buyout scheme available to farmers to help, but you know nobody is really wanting that. They're they're not wanting to to get bought out. Um, you know, there's twenty thousand farms in the Le- Netherlands, and this is something that. They obviously has been a a bread and butter, you could say, of their of their um, economy. And so, you know, there's a lot of concerns with this. And, you know, we've we've seen with what happens with Ukraine, when you take a large exporter of ag goods out of the overall world picture, you know, does that help the environment? does that help food security by by trying to address some of these environmental concerns when really ag may be able to to offer some ag solutions so really concerning when we think about what's happening over there could they try to force that upon us here and uh, you know there's there's some of those little uh, chipping away at maybe what we could see happen here if if some of these very wide uh, draconian uh, Restrictions on what farmers can do would be implemented here in the States.
0: Absolutely. And I think it's worth noting before we move off the Netherlands there that this is a big issue in the Netherlands. Jackie, you reported that nearly 40,000 farmers came out to a convoy protest last week. That's staggering to have that kind of participation. <laughs>
7: You know this is this is this is pretty crazy and I you know I always think it's funny my husband um, he he actually called me yesterday he goes have you heard about this Dutch farmer thing and because uh, it's getting some more press I mean people are starting to hear about it because yeah when you've got 40,000 farmers who are showing up with their tractors uh, and making sure that people understand what's going on I mean that's a big deal. Uh, because this is, this is no, this is not a drop in the bucket. This is, this is something that could put farmers out of the business and, and good for gut judge farmers for standing up, but hopefully their voices are heard.
0: Do we know anything? Are there voices being heard? Has the government responded? Are they going to take a look at these, uh, these emissions requirements?
7: I, you know, I've not heard anything that would indicate that they would, um, you know, make any changes. But this is this is political, right? We talk a lot about political versus policy. And um, this is the political party of their prime minister. Uh, and, and I'm no expert in, in Dutch politics, but they do, they, you know, USDA had a really good report out that kind of gave an overview. And they said, you know, 51% of the members of this political party actually believe the government's plan goes too far. And, you know, that the party that's not in control, they have even more people, um, you know, obviously, they have a lot of their political members who don't believe that this is the way that it should go. So, you know, this is actually maybe encouraging more support for that other side of the political party. We have that here too, you know, sometimes these big issues can can sway a lot of support to one political party over the other. And so maybe there's the ability to come in and and kind of shift the political party uh, control because of an issue like this.
0: Gotcha. All right. Well, as you mentioned there, Jackie, we have seen a lot of changes to global agricultural trade here in recent months with the war in Russia and Ukraine and, of course, this potential issue with the Netherlands. Uh, That makes an ag negotiator a pretty important role. We've got Doug Bacallop nominated to that post. I understand more of the ag industry is coming out in favor of his nomination.
7: Yeah, you know, Doug McCalloch has a great history with USDA. Uh, he has been an advisor at USDA, an employee of the USDA for um, several decades, and so very well known and uh, just... No surprises with him, right? So, you know, he's been around for, uh, he, he was a White House intern in the early, you know, mid-90s and a, a legislative assistant at Senate, a probes committee and y- even before that. So, I mean, he's no stranger to a lot of people on Capitol Hill, to people at USDA. He's a current advisor to Secretary Vilsack. Uh, so great, great nominee for that post. You know, for those of you who aren't familiar, we actually had a ag tragedy trade negotiator nominated and then she withdrew her nomination. We have no idea why. Uh she's still working at the White House in a in an advisor position, but for some reason they didn't they pulled that nomination so it didn't clear the Senate. So they kind of had to go back back to the drawing board. And uh, this USDA advisor Doug McCallop uh we're still waiting Senate action on him, but obviously everyone is trying to kind of make a lot of noise. Hey we're two almost two year you know, a year and a half into this administration. We've got a lot of big trade issues that need uh, an ag advocate on our side. So just a letter with over 100 ag groups supporting a swift confirmation of Doug McCallop's nomination for the USTR chief ag negotiator.
0: Jackie, as contentious as things are in Washington, D.C. right now, I would think a Senate action to confirm uh Doug McCallop would be an easy slam dunk for them to get done before the election. I understand politics doesn't work that way. Do you think we will see a nomination vote on this before the election?
7: You know, the problem with nominations is you have all these kind of nominations that are stacking up. Um so you've got You know, there's a whole list of different nominations, so you've got to have everybody usually has to call in him and interview him. And we still have to have we'll have to have something at the Senate finance level of an actual nomination hearing. You know, he was just nominated a couple of weeks ago at the start of June. And so we would still need to have a nomination hearing at the Senate finance level committee level. Then, you know, so you've got to have interviews before that. It, it's it's more just a matter of a timeline. You know, yeah, we think the elections are a couple months away, but actual legislative days, days that Congress is actually in session, we have a few less, and then, you know, time on the floor is even less than that. Now, it could go kind of lumped into some unanimous votes on the floor. Sometimes we get those with these nominees that don't have a lot of controversy with them. But we'll just we'll just have to see. I I make no promises because it's an election year and, and the days are ticking away on actual congressional work days.
0: Yes, they are indeed. And Jackie, even with that being the case, we've got congressional action, we've got congressional calls for action, I should say, against India and the way they're treating wheat and rice in that country. What's going on there?
7: Yeah. So this is one of those, this uh, fun, fun ability to track daily news, right? So actually last week there was a letter from 12 members of Congress asking President Biden to hold India accountable for its W2O commitment. So W2O basically, uh, you know, love them or hate it, but it is the world organization that's hopefully tries to bring some, you uh, Level playing field for different countries. So India has has actually lost a case of of their 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 rice and wheat subsidies basically because they are over the the standard 10% limit of what they can pay uh, their their farmers, and so they are over-subsidizing their farmers, which creates an unlevel playing field. And so these members, including uh, Tracy Mann from Kansas and Rick Crawford from Arkansas, sent a letter asking Joe Biden to actually hold them accountable. And so then in the kind of a related news, uh, actually here in the last couple of uh, last week, when there was some talks in Geneva, Switzerland, with some WTO meetings, uh, there was actually some countries who came together to initiate consultations with India on their trade distorting subsidies. And so the the letter was that not actually specifically answered, but it's kind of a different related path of trying to hold uh, India accountable for what they're doing in the rice market and the wheat market because of how much they are subsidizing their producers and just not following the rules. And so this is other countries coming together. It's always good when we get some pressure Now, whether they will actually take different action that, that we will wait and see.
0: All right, we'll keep an eye on all of these issues. And Jackie, we look forward to getting you back on to discuss them with us. Thanks for joining us today.
7: Always great, have a good weekend, Mike.
0: And folks, stick around. Chris Edgington, president of the National Corn Growers Association will join us when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away, more AOA coming right up.
4: Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike get Get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council.
5: 180 over
4: 111, and I had a stroke. Would you know whom to call? Well, the answer is Poison Help. 1-800-222-1222. Poison Help is a 24-7 government hotline staffed by poison experts. It's free to call and available in over 100 languages. Every second counts in a poison emergency. Don't waste it wondering who to call. Save Poison Help in your phone today. 1-800-222-1222.
0: We have some exciting news to share. The National Corn Growers Association, along with AOA, are kicking off an all-new program called The Monthly Grind. Tune in on Tuesday, July 12th for a big kickoff. I'll be broadcasting live from Corn Congress in Washington, D.C., and will share all of the details surrounding The Monthly Grind. Make sure to listen to AOA on Tuesday, July 12th. It's a show you don't want to miss.
4: We gather together in communities across the nation to remember and honor, to celebrate and support, to light the night. Join us as we lift our lanterns high in order to move toward a world free of blood cancers. Join us as we light the night for a loved one. Join us. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Our mission is to cure leukemia, lymphoma, Hodgkin's disease, and myeloma. Our aim is to improve the quality of life of patients and their families. Join us. We are LLS, and when we walk, cancer runs. Join your community and help bring light to the darkness of cancer. Join us as we Light the Night. Find your local event at lightthenight.org. That's lightthenight.org.
0: Every Tuesday, we'll be Sitting Around the Table, sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us Around the Table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA today. Certainly always appreciate you taking the time to make us become a part of your day. We always appreciate that. We're going to be checking in with Chris Edgington, North Iowa farmer and president of the National Corn Growers Association here in just a minute. But we did have some important news for the broader economy come out yesterday. And I think this is important. It fits in with what Jackie Holland was talking about in segment two today. U.S unemployment figures surged here in the month of June. Initial unemployment claims increased by 4,000 to 235,000 in the week ending uh, last week. But we saw that claims for the month of June were very, very strong. And uh, that is good news, I think, broadly speaking, for the economy. Joining us now, though, folks, is Chris Edgington. Chris, thank you for taking the time to join us here on AOA today. My pleasure, Mike. Let's talk first, before we get into policy and the details, let's talk crops. Chris, you're up in North Iowa. How does uh, how do the crops look up there?
8: You know, things, things look pretty good here. We've gotten some moisture in the last couple weeks. Um, it's progressing along nicely. It, I mean, the crop is behind. Uh, everybody's commenting how short the soybeans are. Um, and there's, I would guess, we're probably still 10 days away from at least seeing any tassels um, on the very first planted corn. So we're definitely behind, but uh, things do look pretty decent. That wind event went through the other day, and, and there are some fields that uh, definitely uh, definitely suffered some damage. People are out, you know, trying to assess, you know, is it going to come back or not, you know, in the corn uh, pre-tassel the way this happened. But uh, uh, only time will, will probably tell on that.
0: That's for sure. Saw lots of images of wind damage here this past week as that derecho rolled across the country. Chris, in spite of all of that, you are preparing next week to head to Washington D.C. There's a gathering of NCGA folks in D.C. You're going to be talking about all sorts of different things. What is the purpose of this summer meeting for NCGA, Chris?
8: Well, there's multi purposes actually. Monday and Tuesday are are full of action team meetings. That's when grower leaders come together. 15 to 20, uh, in a group, um, and work on various topics. We've got seven different, uh, action teams that are, that are involved in things from ethanol to stewardship to research, uh, membership and, and everything in between. Um, and so that takes up kind of Monday and Tuesday. Um, they will have a lot of, uh, work and involvement with staff and in some cases elected officials or administrators or, uh, people out of the EPA, the USDA and, out of both the House and the Senate. So it's always a great week. It's usually the hottest week of the year in July and we're all wearing suits so people uh, um, people get a little excited about the heat but we, we survive it. And then Wednesday and Thursday is is Wednesdays kind of the day that everybody goes on the hill and sees their elected officials talks about things at home and, and what they' what they're trying to accomplish for corn and agriculture and Thursday is, is the wrap-up day where we hold our big delegate session, uh, vote on new policy, um, we elect new directors to the national board or reelect, depends on the situation um, in some cases, and, um, and then everybody kind of heads out Thursday and Friday, but it'll be a very busy week. Um, I've looked at, through the agendas for all of the action teams, and, and they're, they're pretty intense. Um, I don't think anybody's going to be uh, walking out of D.C. and think that they didn't have a good week of, of pretty intense discussions
0: intense discussion and getting those important points that corn growers need to see accomplished politically into the faces of politicians chris as you got folks heading to the hill are there any points that national corn nationwide is working on making clear to our legislators
8: Oh uh, well, we've got a lot of them um and you know obviously right now almost the hottest burning issue is accuracy and the epa decision um 10 days ago or so to take us down from 15 parts per billion to 3.4. That is is very concerning. Atrazine is in over 60 products, has been used for over 60 years, and is still a very reliable piece of a lot of farmers' crop protection uh, when it comes to weed control. And there's a lot of concern on that. We've got a 60-day comment period going on, of which we are going to kick off a call to action next week to not only engage the members that are in DC, but our entire membership base. And then you can move on to you know things like ethanol, where we're talking about next generation fuels and, and the value that biofuels bring to the consumer, both from a cost savings and an environmental benefit. And we can move over and talk about things like WOTUS and some of the, the rediscussion that's going on there um, as people potentially think that the 2020 waters ruling should be changed again and we're, 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 we we're can manage and are comfortable working through what is the 2020 rule. Um, if they go back to what was the 2014-2015 time frame, uh, that was very restrictive and uh, really don't want to go back there as it made almost every mile in Iowa uh, considered to be under regulation because it was in that, it, it at some time in its one year time frame could have had Uh, standing water on it and thus made it navigable, uh, which we both know is really not the case when it's only there for a day or two and and then it disappears. So, um, you know, those are are big things and, and, you know, we haven't even touched on conservation.
0: Yeah, that's true. And I would imagine that conservation in this administration would be a fairly easy topic of conversation to bring up while you're on the Hill.
8: You know, it, it is, and yet it does present its challenges. And one of, one of the pieces there is, is not so much talking about converse, conservation, but simply talking about one size does not fit all. Um, as I explained to uh, the ho- a House hearing that I did last spring, you know, we have growers from southern Texas to northern Minnesota, from California to Maine. And they don't have the same weather, they don't have the same soil types, they don't have the same cropping opportunities. And so when it comes to conservation, they have to look at different tools and different practices for their area, for their region. And so one size doesn't fit all, and that's one of the education pieces we do.
0: Absolutely. Get that message in front of those legislators and regulators in D.C. Folks, that'll be happening next week. I will be broadcasting live from NCGA Corn Congress on Tuesday. We'll be kicking off a new segment called The Monthly Grind. Do be sure to tune in then. Chris Edgington, President NCGA, thanks for joining us today. Anytime. And folks, we'll talk more AOA on Monday. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.